Good afternoon and welcome to Forest Fires. My name is John Clark. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about overthinking and the dangerous ways that overthinking can undermine our best laid recovery plans. Overthinking is simply the act of thinking about something too much and for too long. It's been clinically proven to elevate stress levels, to reduce our creativity, and to cloud our judgment. Yet, countless members of the recovery community and the public at large suffer from this on a regular basis. It's been said that overthinking is the art of creating problems that weren't even there in the first place. Overthinking leaves us exhausted, emotionally drained, and often paralyzed by our own thoughts. There are countless memes and funny sayings out there about overthinking, but for those of us that have been lost in it, that have to live with overthinking, it's no laughing matter. Overthinking is certainly not something that is reserved for just the members of the recovery community, but it is something that we seem to struggle with at a much higher level. Overthinking can be both a cause and a symptom of our addictions. For many of us, we've been overthinkers our whole life. Even as a child, I would dwell upon things that were outside of my control, and I could imagine the worst possible disaster scenarios that could happen. All that it took was the seed of worry or uncertainty to be planted, and my mind was off to the races. I recall a particular situation where my mom and my dad were having a conversation about the family finances, and me, being the little eavesdropper that I was at the time, I decided that I would stealthily listen in, without their knowledge, of course. I know that it was around Christmas time, and I thought maybe, just maybe, if I listened hard enough and was sneaky enough, I might overhear them talking about what they were going to get me for Christmas. What I heard, though, sent my overactive imagination racing. Now, don't get me wrong. They never said anything particularly bad or horrific. They were having a normal husband and wife conversation and were simply talking about how money was tight and how they would have to tighten their belts. This is not unlike countless conversations that husband and wives or families in general have every single night in in houses across the globe. To me, though, what I heard, what my imagination ran with, was that my family was in financial ruin, that we were in bankrupt. I didn't really know what bankrupt meant, but I knew it couldn't be good. And that I also thought we would soon be homeless, that we would be living on the streets. And I had this picture in my head that I and my family, we were going to be foraging from garbage cans to find our next meal. Now, in true alcoholic and addictive fashion, I never mentioned to my parents that I had overheard their conversation. I was afraid of getting in trouble for listening in, for eavesdropping. And I never shared my fears or my worries about any of this with my parents or with anyone else. They could have easily eased my tired mind if I had just shared my feelings. But I didn't. Instead, I laid in my bed every night for weeks, worrying about what would happen to our family where we would go, where we would live, what we would eat, and would there even be a Christmas that year. I literally made myself sick. There were a number of days where my stomach was in knots due to my worry. As you can imagine, we weren't in financial ruin. We didn't go bankrupt. There was food on the table, and Christmas did come, and there were presents under the tree. Now, this may seem silly, 
And in hindsight, it kind of is silly. But it gives credence to the fact that I was an overthinker from an early age. If you're honest with yourself, many of you are the same way. My example is just one of the countless times that I made myself physically sick with my overthinking. When I was introduced to alcohol, I began to see why so many people were attracted to this substance. Not only did it make me feel bigger, bolder, and more confident, it finally slowed my racing mind. It allowed me to fall asleep without having to try and solve every problem that I had ever conceived of. What I didn't realize then, and what took me years to figure out after the fact, was that I had just begun my long journey of self-medication. None of us are really taught how to think, or even what healthy thinking is. It's just assumed that we know how, and that we'll get better at it the older that we get and the more educated that we become. For me, at least, that wasn't the case. The older I got, the bigger the worries and fears I had became. And the more educated I became, the more tools I had to delude myself. I simply learned to use bigger words in my overthinking, and I came up with more plausible and realistic disaster situations. The same mindset existed, though. The child version of me was worried about things that were out of my control, and the adult version of me did the exact same thing. Overthinking is a symptom of self-absorption. The concept that everything bad that happens in the world is happening to me, that I am the center of the universe, and that only I, the great and powerful Oz, can solve the problems that I and everyone else faces. Unfortunately, though, while we lay in bed at night and try and solve all of ours and everybody else's problems, overthinking causes us to become so lost in our own internal debate that we're prevented from taking any positive action to actually improve or change our situation. Now, there's nothing wrong with thinking. In fact, our ability to think is an asset. When I would get in trouble as a teenager, one of my dad's favorite insults was to tell me that I just didn't think. Boy, if he only knew how wrong he was. All I did was think. What I struggled with was acting. Thinking before we act is healthy, and it's something that we suggest in recovery and we recommend to the newcomer. You may have heard that phrase, pause, used in the rooms. Basically, pause before you say something. Pause before you take some form of action. In other words, pause and think about the ramifications of what you are about to say or do and take that time to decide if it's worth it. Failing to pause, failing to think, that can lead to all sorts of problems. When we overthink, though, we are simply spending far more time thinking about an issue than it merits. In many cases, overthinking arises as a result of fear or because of a lack of self-confidence in our own abilities. Overanalyzing or overthinking, it's also a form of procrastination. It's always easier to think about a solution than it is to actually take action. Think about your own recovery. How many days and nights did you contemplate the horrible things that would or could happen if you stopped drinking or using? Or better yet, how many times have you laid in bed at night and thought of the perfect diet, health, and workout routine, only to wake up the next morning and drink too much coffee and eat donuts? Again, thinking is simply easier than acting. Some of us do like to delude ourselves. As I've said many times, while I have lied to tens of thousands of people in my lifetime, the person that I have lied to the most is me. 
Many of us claim that our overthinking is just a product of our being cautious, not wanting to make rash decisions, etc. And in some cases, that may actually be true. But even if it is true, overthinking can turn healthy caution into unhealthy delay. While overthinking can lead to many problems, overthinking by itself can lead to depression. When we are struck with constant worry and fear about all of the things that are outside of our control, all of the things that can go wrong, we can be led to self-destructive behaviors. It's no mystery that overthinking doesn't actually help or solve any of our problems. In fact, overthinking may make our problems appear far worse than they actually are. Every day when we wake up, every one of us have a reserve of emotional energy. When we spend our energy and our time worrying and overthinking about things that are out of our control, we deplete that reserve. When our emotional reserves are low, we don't have the energy to deal with the normal day-to-day parts of our life, much less any crisis that happens. We have to start learning how to use our minds and our thinking to work for us, not against us. When the mind is working for us, our mind, body, and emotions, they're all working together. When we are caught up in overthinking, though, the mind is manipulating the emotions, using the fantasy of the future to create fear and dread, and using the past to perpetuate shame and regret. Overthinking is, at its core, a means of control for us. We believe that if we think about something hard enough and long enough, Maybe, just maybe, we can produce the results or the outcome that we want. Sadly, though, this rarely works. None of us can predict or plan for the uncertainty of the future. Now, it's true that we can anticipate what might happen, but the best that we can really do is give an educated guess based upon past events. One of the things I like to do is plan conversations before they happen. Planning conversations with other people It's an exercise in futility because there's a variable we have no control over, the other person. We have no idea what they're going to think or say or what they're going to do, yet we plan the conversation out in detail. For us in recovery, overthinking can be particularly dangerous. Overthinking can cause us to constantly be on the lookout for reasons or justifications not to take positive and healthy steps in our life. You may say that now is not a good time. I'll do it when I have more money or when the kids are older or when work slows down. The list of excuses and justifications for many of us is endless. Now, I'm no expert at anything, but I do know that if you look for a reason or a justification long enough, you'll find one. I mean, how many times did you justify a drink or a drug based upon a bad day or a good day? In my very early recovery, I was in a meeting And during that meeting, I had given what I believed to be an eloquent and intelligent share. I mean, I had rehearsed that speech ten times in the shower, and the shampoo bottles really seemed to dig it. At the end of that meeting, though, when we were cleaning everything up, an elder member of the community with flowing white hair and a face full of experience simply gave me a hug, and he whispered in my ear that if I didn't get dumb, I was going to die. Now, I have to admit, when he made this statement, It really pissed me off, and it left me more than a little confused. I mean, I was about three months sober at this point in time, and I was confident that I knew what the hell was going on. Moreover, I was proud of my intelligence. I'd worked hard for my education, and I prided myself on being somewhat smart. 
Took me a long time to understand what that man meant when he said when he said that to me. As you can imagine, I overthought his statement. So many times I convinced myself that he'd simply done one too many acid tabs back in the day and that that man was simply crazy. You'll be happy to know that I did eventually list that man on my fourth step and let go of that resentment. Unfortunately, though, I didn't get the opportunity to make direct amends to him. He passed away not long after he shared that wisdom with me. In some way, I suppose, this is my living amends to him now. The 12-step program is not a thinking program, regardless of what you may think. It's a doing program. I have met many 12-step scholars in the rooms and in the treatment facility where I work. Yet, these individuals seem to have a higher than average relapse rate. Now, that's not to say that you can't learn the steps and the literature and be knowledgeable about the program and stay sober, because you can. What I mean is that many people focus their time on learning the program more so than they do on working the program. When I was a teen, I recall getting very frustrated with the church that we attended. My journey with spirituality has been a long and confusing one, and at this time I was really looking for a reason to abandon the church, to not believe the things that my dad and my mom were sharing with me. When I would go to church on Sundays, I would see people that could quote the King James Version of the Bible with such eloquence They could craft prayers that would make Jesus himself weep, and they could tell you exactly where something was in the Bible, by chapter and by verse. Yet, as I grew older, I began to see these same people at the bars on Friday and Saturday night, or I would read in the newspaper where they'd been arrested for hitting their wives or doing something else nefarious. I couldn't justify or wrap my brain around this type of hypocrisy. The same thing happens in the 12-step rooms across the planet. People say all the right things. They appear to have a better grasp on the literature than Bill Williams or Dr. Bob combined, yet they struggle to maintain even the slightest degree of personal sobriety. For many newcomers, they see this the same way that I saw the church. They see it as blatant and rampant, do as I say, not as I do, hypocrisy. And perhaps it is. But always remember, you don't go to a hospital and expect it to be filled with well people. Why? Because that's where sick people go. And don't go to a church and expect it to be filled with saints. Why? Because that's where sinners go. And you don't expect to find a 12-step meeting filled with sober people. Why? Because that's where alcoholics go. Again, if you overthink any situation long enough, you can come up with a justification and an excuse to find the bad in it. Underlying almost every act of overthinking is an unprocessed, unacknowledged emotion. Perhaps it's fear. Maybe it's worry or even doubt. We are often struck with the overwhelming fear that the worst possible outcome will come to pass. Your mind wants you to figure it out and to come up with a version of the future that is safe and beneficial for you. Unfortunately, none of us have the ability to control or even predict the future. The best that we have is the ability to control our emotions in the present moment. Before we can take that power back, though, we have to get honest with ourselves about what our underlying feelings really are. We as alcoholics and addicts, we have the uncanny ability to oversimplify the complex and to to complicate the simplistic. We take something as complicated as our own disease of addiction, our own long history, 
And we boil it down to, I just like to party a little too much, or I just overdo it once in a while. I recall personally waking up in one of my several detoxes, thoroughly convinced that my family was overreacting, that I just needed to slow down a bit and everything would be okay. To put this in context, context though, at that point, I was already looking at multiple DUIs, two felony discharges, a disbarment, and three hospital stays in the last six weeks. But yeah, my family was clearly overreacting. On the same note, though, we complicate something as simple as this program. Why? Because we overthink it. The 12 steps contain 200 words. That is all. Not one word less, not one word more. Yet, we take those 200 words and we look for any wiggle room possible to find an excuse to not buy in. We see the references to God, and even though the literature is replete with references telling us that God can be anything that we like, we push back and we convince ourselves that AA, NA, and the other 12-step programs are trying to shove a Judeo-Christian theology down our throat. Or we look at the fellowships in the room and we convince ourselves that this has to be a cult. Why else would they be hugging each other all the time? By the way, if AA or NA are cults, they are really crappy cults. You can come and go as you please, they don't keep a membership record, and they only suggest that you leave a dollar. And I have never, not once, seen Kool-Aid at a single meeting. Jim Jones would not be impressed. The long and short of it is that the 12-step recovery program requires action to do any good. And for many of us, we will look for and find any excuse possible not to act. Overthinking is a learned behavior. Young children don't often struggle with overthinking as much as adults do. I mean, look at some of the outfits a toddler puts together when allowed to dress themselves. The toddler isn't thinking about what other people will say or think. They're just thinking that rain boots, a tutu, and a cape all put together will look really cool. And let's be honest, it is really cool. How many times have you stared at your closet, though, and thought of what to wear and thought of what someone might think about you? How many times have you looked at that shirt and wondered how many times you'd worn it recently or if someone would notice or if that outfit made you look fat? If overthinking is a learned trait, it's also a trait that can be unlearned, the same way that we can unlearn the toxic behaviors of our active addiction. Meditation is an excellent means to slow our mind down and to stall our overthinking. It's said that prayer is asking for something and that meditation is listening. For me, meditation is simply listening to my body, to my thoughts, and to the things I get too busy to focus on during my workday. Even for those that have become skilled at meditation, thoughts seem to creep into our meditative bliss without our consent. Meditation teaches us not to ignore our thoughts, but rather to see them, identify them, and then to let them pass like clouds drifting through the sky. Telling yourself that you're not going to think about something is the fastest way to think about it. I mean, if I tell you not to think about me in rain boots, a tutu, and a cape, my guess is you probably just thought about it, and you're welcome. Instead of not thinking about it, just try and let your thoughts pass. Don't hold on to them and beat them into submission. Another thing that we can do to help with our overthinking, it takes more time and far more effort than meditation, but it's even more beneficial, and that's developing emotional sobriety. 
As you've heard me say humpteen times before, sobriety is about more than simply removing the drug or the drink from your life. Emotional sobriety is simply the concept that alcoholics and addicts hoping to stay sober over the long haul must learn to regulate their negative feelings that can lead to discomfort, craving, and ultimately relapse. Over our time in the rooms and through regularly practicing the 12 steps, we can learn to identify our negative thinking and stop it before it begins to get out of hand. Emotional sobriety is not easy, and it's certainly no fun. One of the most shocking things I had to learn in my early recovery was that drugs and alcohol were not really my problem. I was my problem. That one scrambled my brain for more than a little while. But as I worked the program and I worked the steps, I began to see the underlying thoughts and ideas that had led me to want to use and abuse substances in the first place. Learning to be honest with ourselves is not only a key to our emotional sobriety, but it's also a key to a healthy life in general. The recovery community that you have can also help with your overthinking. Even though I have a few 24 hours under my belt, my mind is still ready to run off and leave me at any given second. I still overthink and convince myself of the worst possible outcomes. I had to apologize and make amends to my girlfriend just a few days ago because I did just that. Healthy recovery and healthy thinking ask that we share our thoughts and our ideas with another human being before we make a royal ass out of ourselves. When we have a strong recovery community and people within that that are going to hold us accountable rather than co-signing our bad ideas, we can catch our thinking before it gets out of hand. In my recent situation, fortunately, I didn't go too far off the deep end. But that's only because I saw the red flags and sought the help and guidance from others within my community. Trust me, though, I always have the ability to make a bad situation worse by simply thinking on it too much. The single best solution for overthinking is to simply feel your feelings. Acknowledge that they exist and try to determine why they are there. The alcoholic and addictive mind its a dangerous place for us to visit. Deep within your mind, the core of your disease lives and it breathes there and your overthinking feeds it and gives it strength. When overthinking occurs in the addictive mind, chaos can ensue. We can create for ourselves needless pain, needless fear and remorse. Overthinking makes us prisoners of our own minds, and escape from that can seem impossible. Recovery is to be lived, not just thought about. If everyone that thought about getting sober actually got that way, we wouldn't have had over 93,000 overdoses last year and more than 95,000 alcohol-related deaths last year. Our thoughts can trap us, and they can cause us to miss out on the good that surrounds us in our life. Learning to control your thoughts and to recognize when you're falling down the rabbit hole of overthinking, it can lead you to a profound and unknown level of freedom. Sobriety is about many things for many different people, but in the end, it's about being free. Give yourself the opportunity to learn and to live that freedom. As always, Thank you for tuning in. By my last count, we were approaching about 900 downloads on Forest Fires, and that's simply amazing to me. Every download, every share, every like, and every listen shows me that the power of this program, the 12-step program, is real and that it's working. <laughs>
Thank you all for being a part of this journey. Like, share, and comment on this and any of the other podcasts that we have put together so far. Likewise, go to the Forest Fires Facebook page and like and share the videos or the writings there. I don't proclaim to be an expert about anything recovery-related. I'm just a man that has been given the gift of recovery. While I'm no expert, I do know that we have to spread the message to those that continue to suffer from this deadly and debilitating disease. Reach out and lift another person up today. Share some hope with someone that is struggling and be the member of the recovery community you needed when you were a newcomer. If, on the other hand, you are struggling today, if you don't know where to go or what to do, reach out to a member of the recovery community or message me anytime. There are so many of us out there that know what we've been through and what we've been given as a gift, and to hold on to it, we know that we have to give it back. Whatever your situation is today, it doesn't have to stay that way. Recovery is possible, and redemption is real. As always, stay reachable, stay teachable, and stay humble. Thank you.